And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning. Uh, everyone's uh, weekend was uh, enjoyable. Today is uh, Monday, January 29th, last Monday of uh, January. Still the very beginning of uh, 2024. And uh, this week, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, news that uh, could give us a lot of insights into the rest of the year. So sometimes uh, some weeks uh, are more insightful than others. Uh, Of course, we can't get all the insights we'd like. We've uh, got a presidential election that uh, remains uh, uncertain. And uh, we have all sorts of geopolitical events going on in the world, both in the Middle East, the Ukraine, Russia, and of course, the U.S. uh, potentially getting further dragged into uh, the conflict after the horrific events uh, over the weekend in Jordan. So this morning, we will uh, talk about what we've got going on uh, this week, how that could set the table for a lot of uh, the rest of uh, the year, and how markets uh, how markets interpret a lot of the information that we receive. Uh, again, the most important uh, part of investing, in my opinion, is to know yourself, know your risk tolerance, know the volatility that you can handle, build a portfolio around that, and uh, rebalance when appropriate. And if you find yourself getting ahead of your skis in terms of uh, not being comfortable with volatility when it hits, well, use that as an opportunity to recalibrate in your head what you are comfortable with. And when things get back to what I would call a more stable equilibrium, uh, perhaps it's time to uh, reassess the risk that you felt uh, when when things were getting uh, really ugly in the marketplace. Right now, we're not in an ugly place, uh, so sometimes uh, we can feel uh, overly uh, positive or euphoric, so keep that in mind as well. When uh, markets are uh, approaching or hitting new highs every day, it's easy to get overconfident. I'm going to start the day off with uh, with a uh, anecdote from uh, Warren Buffett, and then we'll get into uh, what's going on in the financial world, and uh, then we will turn it over to Brad to talk about what uh, is uh, really one of the main drivers of the overall uh, foreign and domestic economic markets, and that's uh, the bond market, the fixed income market, which has uh, returned to its uh, place of uh, being uh, being the real barometer for uh, folks' uh, comfort for risk and what markets may look like. Uh, but uh, first, on uh, this Monday morning, perhaps uh, you've had a stressful Monday morning, hope not, um, but Warren Buffett had a uh, quote that uh, James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, uh, shared a week or so ago, and this is on keeping your temper in check and not losing your cool, which is uh, something that uh, could, uh, could happen on a Monday morning. So he said, my good friend and hero, Tom Murphy, had an incredible generosity of spirit. He would do five things for you without thinking about whether you did something for him. After he was done with those five things, he'd be thinking about how to do the sixth. He was also an extremely able person in business and was kind of effortless about it. He didn't have to shout or scream or anything like that. He did everything in a very relaxed manner. Forty years ago, Tom gave me, meaning Warren Buffett, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. He said, Warren, you can always tell someone to go to hell tomorrow. It's such an easy way of putting it. You haven't missed the opportunity. Just forget about it for a day. If you feel the same way tomorrow, tell them, but don't spout off in a moment of anger. So with that uh, thought in mind, we will uh, get right into uh, this week's events. And as I said, uh, pretty uh, pretty chock full of information. Barron's uh, had a quote, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. That's from Vladimir Lenin. 
And the coming week may not pack in 10 years worth of market and economic news, but is certainly shaping up as the most eventful one for investors so far this year. So here we are. It's just the last week of January. And uh, this week we are going to get us a whole bunch of uh, facts, you can believe that, um, to help us determine if the narrative the market has been telling itself to power higher still rings true. Five of the Magnificent Seven release earnings. And perhaps with the recent sell-off in uh, Tesla, um, we are down to uh, five of the six. I don't know if they'll call them Magnificent Six, but let's call them the Magnificent Six for now. So five of perhaps the uh, biggest drivers of uh, uh, the markets uh, will be releasing their earnings uh, on Tuesday and Thursday of this week. Tuesday, we get Google and Microsoft's results after the bell. And Thursday, we get Amazon, Meta, and, uh, and Apple. And the markets will get gobs of information um, when, uh, when we uh, get uh, these earnings. So let's just take a look at them individually. Microsoft, when it announces earnings, will shed more light on its AI, artificial intelligence ambitions. Investors will be waiting with bated breath to learn when and if and perhaps how Microsoft will monetize artificial intelligence. Microsoft will also share details about Azure, that's its cloud solution, and uh, they will also be talking about their partnership with ChatGBT after all of the uh, so operatic uh, machinations that went on between uh, ChatGBT and their board. And then Google, uh, also known as Alphabet, will tell us about the advertising market, which is as good of a barometer as any, in my opinion, for the overall economy. In addition, we will get more data on whether or not Google is keeping up with the big boys like Microsoft and their Azure solution and Amazon and their Amazon Web Services solution in the cloud. There's been lots of uh, concerns that uh, Google is a uh, also ran to Microsoft and, uh, and Amazon. And we'll hear also and perhaps uh, equally importantly about Google's artificial intelligence initiatives, uh, specifically what they uh, call BARD. Now, not a lot of people may remember that Google was arguably the tech pioneer of artificial intelligence, and many of Google's engineers are and were AI leaders. Some were founders and early members of the ChatGBT team. So Alphabet slash Google did not seek to monetize AI at first, but they may have the potential to catch up and possibly even leapfrog Microsoft and ChatGBT given their vast stores of, uh, of consumer preferences and data through all those searches and those Gmails that uh, many of us uh, engage in, and uh, the fact that they still have uh, lots of engineers with lots of uh, artificial intelligence expertise, uh, it'll be uh, certainly something that the markets are focused on, what Google has to say about their AI uh, go going forward and their AI ambitions. And then on Thursday, markets uh, will follow Tim Cook of Apple's commentary very closely. Markets will be very focused on China's sales and the Chinese market. Of course, uh, with the Super 5, uh, let's say, uh, reporting this week, Apple is perhaps uh, the greatest insights we will have into the Chinese economy. They have the most exposure out of any of these uh, companies by far. And this will give us uh, a lot of uh, inclination as to how China's economy is performing. Uh, they are the second largest economy in the world. And if the second largest economy in the world is uh, sputtering, well, that's something that would uh, cause concern for the global economy and even for the United States. We can't uh, outrun the rest of the world. 
We'll also be focusing on whether or not uh, Apple, if it is having any issues in China, whether those issues are unique to Apple and the unique dynamic uh, with Apple and their phones uh, and their competition with Huawei are having, or whether or not it's a broader effect uh, of the Chinese market and uh, what that may mean for uh, for all of us uh, going forward. And then we will get uh, investors will want to hear about uh, Apple's plan to reignite growth. They'll want to hear about Apple's artificial intelligence initiatives, about their auto ambitions, and about how their new virtual reality headset will work and what investors can expect uh, with respect to that new product. And the hits keep coming. Amazon is going to provide markets with information about three key areas. Number one, commerce. How is the U.S. consumer holding up? Two, we talked about AWS, Amazon Web Services, cloud, and Amazon's ambitions with respect to, you guessed it, artificial intelligence. And then we will hear from Amazon about advertising, uh, because advertising uh, is becoming a bigger and bigger piece of uh, Amazon's business model. If you go and search for products on Amazon, some of that is being uh, paid for by advertisers, what you see when you, uh, when you do search their website. And they're also moving aggressively into advertising on Amazon Prime as they are seeking to uh, roll out a uh, advertising service. So for those of you who have Amazon Prime as your uh, video service, uh, if you want to uh, continue to watch Amazon Prime without, uh, without ads, if you're a Prime member, you'll have to start forking over $2.99 a month, or you will uh, be watching some uh, ads on uh, your Amazon Prime. And then finally, Meta will announce earnings and give us insights into advertising like Google about their AI ambitions, and Mark Zuckerberg has been uh, very uh, talkative about uh, how uh, Meta is using artificial intelligence to fine-tune their algorithms and to improve uh, their advertising results, and to let us know if Reels, uh, which is their uh, competitor to TikTok, is uh, taking fast, taking market share from uh, TikTok, and if they are, uh, how effective uh, they are in being in taking that market share. So. That's just the earnings this week. We got more. Then on Wednesday, we hear from the Federal Reserve. While no one expects a change in rates at this meeting, and there are no dot plots at this meeting, so we won't get that little golden nugget of information. Um, what we will hear is the commentary from uh, Jerome Powell, and he will give us his insights into the Fed's thinking, and he may share, share how realistic he thinks the market's expectations of six interest rate cuts are what his outlook is for inflation, what's keeping him up at night. Uh, all of this could uh, drive the market. And then more. We will hear from the one person that the Wall Street Journal over the weekend called the most important man in finance you never heard of. His name is Jack Frost, and he is the Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets. What a title. But what does he do? He sets the mix of U.S. government bonds that are going to be sold to investors and helps determine how much money that the government is going to raise and edit every quarter. So today, the Fed, Frost, will announce how much the Fed plans to borrow in the next quarter. And on Wednesday, the Treasury will announce the structure of maturities for the next wave of Treasury auctions. And why is this so important? Well, you may remember that not too uh, long ago, um, back in the summer, that uh, the Fed came out with uh, their borrowing needs and they came out with their structure of uh, how these bonds are going to be issued and they were skewed towards uh, longer-term bonds. And the market decided they didn't like this structure at all 
and uh, they felt that too many long-term bonds were being issued relative to uh, demand, and interest rates uh, went up significantly. Then come November, the Fed, perhaps learning a, a lesson from the summer, uh, came out with uh, the amount of money they were going to borrow, and uh, they also came out with their term structure of rates, and lo and behold, they changed that term structure to weight things more towards the short end of the curve, meaning they were going to issue shorter-term maturities. Markets like that, um, and some would say that was what was one of the big catalysts for the drive down in rates that occurred um, in the beginning of November. That, along with uh, along with some comments from uh, Jerome Powell about the Fed uh, being on hold for raising rates and possibly even considered to lower rates, put those two together, and uh, you got a uh, powerful move uh, in the bond market to the upside and yields to the downside. So be lots of attention being paid to uh, to these two pieces of information from the uh, Treasury um, this week. And then on Friday, we get the employment report. Now, keep in mind that the Fed's mandate is to keep inflation low and employment at full employment, whatever full employment necessarily means. Therefore, the jobs report is a key data point in determining Fed policy. Markets are expecting 175,000 non-farm payrolls to be created, which would be down from 216,000 last month. And the markets are expecting the unemployment rate uh, to tick up to 3.8% from 3.7%. So that's what we've got uh, to think about uh, as we head into uh, last week of January. So what do we have uh, going on this morning? Well, right now we've got the futures very quiet ahead of all of uh, this uh, tremendous news flow we're going to receive this week. S&P futures are now down two. Dow futures are down about 25. And NASDAQ futures are now up about uh, 12 points this morning. So with that uh, backdrop, treasuries, which uh, we might uh, expect uh, to be seeing a strong flight to safety bid after Iranian-backed militants killed three U.S. service members in Jordan and injured several others. And uh, President Biden saying that this is uh, seen as a significant escalation, and he has vowed to respond. The Senate Armed Services ranking member Roger Wicker called on U.S. the U.S. to strike directly against Iranian targets, according to CNN. But so far this morning... Um, price action has indicated that the geopolitical worries, at least as we speak, are not top of mind for investors. I started to talk about the uh, Treasury market. We are not seeing a strong flight to safety bid. We're seeing a muted flight to safety. And oil prices, perhaps the biggest indicator of what's going on in the Middle East, are lower this morning by about 25 cents, um, indicating at least at the moment that market participants are not overly worried about immediate disruptions to supply as a result of the rising tensions in the Middle East. Ten-year yield is down five basis points to 411. Two-year yield is down three basis points uh, to 4.33%. Overseas, equity markets in Asia, uh, mostly on a higher note, with uh, China's Shanghai composite down about nine-tenths of one percent on reports that uh, a Hong Kong court has ordered the liquidation of uh, the developer Evergrande. Um, though there is some speculation that the company will continue to work on unfinished projects in China. At one point, Evergrande was the largest uh, by sales property developer in China, so uh, significant. Uh, this has been a slow death, so to speak, but nevertheless uh, a, um, a, a a significant moment uh, here um, with uh, with this bankruptcy. Japanese market and the Hong Kong market um, all up about one percent, and India was up about two uh, percent. 
Gold's up about $11.50 this morning to 2028. And uh, taking a look at the uh, European markets, we are seeing mixed markets there. Germany's down a little bit. The FTSE in, in uh, London is up a little bit, and France is unchanged. Uh, taking a look at some of the uh, news over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal reporting that the Fed is feeling pressure to lower interest rates amid falling inflation. It's significant that the Journal wrote that report because they do have some uh, insights, some would say, into some of the minds and thinking of some of the Fed officials. Uh, New York Times is reporting that the U.S. negotiators are close to an agreement for Israel to suspend fighting for two months in exchange for Hamas, Hamas releasing 100 hostages. Politico reporting that Nikki Haley is committed to stay in the Republican Party race, primary race through Super Tuesday on March 5th. President Biden um, saying that uh, he supports border security and the Ukraine funding bill, but House Speaker Mike Johnson said the bill is dead on arrival. The bill would shut down the border to unauthorized immigrants um, if migrant encounters rise above 5,000 per day, according to the New York Times. Uh, Financial Times reporting that China regulators have curbed short selling and the Wall Street Journal reporting that President Biden is expected to award billions in chip subsidies this week. The largest beneficiaries are expected to be Intel and uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Um, So we'll see if uh, that, in fact, is what uh, takes place. Barron's talked about uh, that the uh, stock market uh, since uh, since November has been celebrating good news. Um, and they uh, are concerned uh, that it may not last. Um, we've been getting uh, earnings, um, and earnings so far this season have been hit and miss. Uh, the stock market, though, has been celebrating some good economic data. Last week saw a fourth quarter U.S. GDP rise 3.3%, which was above estimates of 1.8%. Um, and uh, we've been seeing a surprise to the upside on GDP now for the past uh, several quarters. And this has helped lift the market. Now, one thing to keep in mind with the new market mindset and with the expectation that inflation has fallen meaningfully, that bad economic news may no longer be good news for financial markets. We may have moved past that, maybe, where bad financial news might actually be, um, if we get it, um, might translate into uh, markets moving down, not expectations that the Federal Reserve is going to lower rates and that would be good for the market, that narrative maybe facing an inflection point. Also, we're starting to see the yield curve starting to uninvert. And we may think, well, a steeper yield curve is something that uh, is good news for stocks, but that's not necessarily the case. The stock market has dropped in three of the eight times over the past 44 years when the yield curve uninverted after being inverted for at least three months, including two drops of 10% or more the following 12 months. It could even signal a possible recession, even though it doesn't look like one's likely at the moment. In fact, a slowdown usually occurs nine months after the maximum yield curve inversion, which occurred in mid-2023, implying that one could arrive soon. Even without a recession, a slip in the data could be problematic for the S&P 500, which sits 22% above its 50-week moving average. That's a sign that the index is well above its recent trend, a dynamic that has often preceded meaningful declines in the past several years. And then in the uh, up and down Wall Street column, which was entitled How Rate Cuts Affect the Stock Market, depends on this one thing. And what the conclusion here is, is the one thing that it depends upon is why is the Fed cutting rates? If the Fed is cutting rates to be preemptive, like it was in the 1990s, that is generally viewed as a positive, meaning that they are starting to see a slowdown and they cut rates, um, that has largely been a positive. 
On the flip side, in the 2000 era, post-2000, the Fed, when they have cut rates, it has been as a result of uh, the economy already being in trouble, like in the early 2000s with the dot-com crash, and of course 2008, 2009 with the uh, with the financial crisis, and then um, in 2020 with uh, COVID. Uh, those were all periods where after uh, the markets uh, had rate cuts and the markets uh, continued to decline. So we'll see uh, which of those two scenarios uh, will play out if, in fact, the Fed decide to cut interest rates, which they've indicated they are likely to, uh, but nothing is done until it happens, of course. Finally, uh, Barron's uh, concluded uh, their roundtable, and uh, I'll share uh, two stocks with you from uh, from the column, uh, both from uh, Abby Joseph Cohn, who's now a uh, professor at Columbia University, was formerly uh, with uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, one stock that she chose that I thought was an interesting selection, very out of favor, is Pfizer, one of the great heroes during the uh, pandemic due to its development of the COVID vaccine and Paxlovid. But like other companies uh, in the uh, heavy reliance on uh, on COVID uh, for their success, uh, the stock has dropped and now Pfizer is down almost 41% over the past year. And investors, that she says, have lost confidence in the company. She thinks this makes for an interesting uh, entry point. The stock currently yields 5.6%, reflecting investor concerns. It's trading for 13 times this year's estimated earnings. But what does she think could spark a turnaround? She said that Pfizer has a history of successful acquisitions. One possible catalyst is the recent acquisition of CGEN, a significant oncology company. Uh, Pfizer has notable product lines in oncology, immunology, cardiology, and endocrinology, but some of its Best-known drugs have lost their patent protection, but she says some of the remaining products uh, are being overlooked. She says everyone loves to hate Pfizer, and that management has signaled that it intends to move forward with more acquisitions. She thinks that could be something that uh, is a catalyst for the stock. The second company she mentioned is Henry Schein, based in Melville, where Herald and Lantern's uh, headquarters are located. They distribute medical and dental equipment. The company was the victim of a cyber attack in the fall. And the stock dropped from 75 to 62. Uh, by the way, the symbol for Henry Schein is uh, H as in hotel, S as in Sam, I as in Ida, C as in Charles. So the stock fell from 75 to 62. Now it's back in the low 70s. Uh, she said uh, that uh, she thinks that uh, the bad news from that uh, big disruption is moving behind the company. So last year in 2023, they earned 450 a share. She thinks this year they'll earn 550 a share. And she expects this stock to trade up from the low 70s to 90 to $100 a share um, in 2025. I'm going to uh, turn it over to uh, Brad to give us some more thoughts and uh, insights. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone had a nice weekend. Uh, last time I spoke, I had suggested that it was possible that the market was accounting for more rate cuts than the Fed. The Fed has been, pl- has been implying possibly three cuts or 75 base points and the market was implying six cuts or 150 base points. In the last two weeks, the market has adjusted to four or five cuts with the 10-year yield rising a little more than 30 basis points off its low yields. If the market gets in line with the Fed, we could see another 30 or so basis point rise in that 10-year Treasury uh, back up to 4.5%. However, if the Fed gets in line with the market, we could see the 10-year yield drop to 3.5%. At the moment, as I said last time, I think it is more likely that the market gets in line with the Fed. 
maybe with the tenure of finding a lot of support at around four and a quarter percent, because I still think that uh, with what the stock market has done, there's going to be more demand for rebalancing and some more demand for bonds at, at these livable rates. With the stock and certainly residential housing markets uh, still hot and commodity prices much more under control, this may be a sign of a softer landing. And if that's the case, there's no reason for the Fed to run to do anything. The silver lining of higher for longer for bond investors is that if bonds mature and get called and people get new money, we still have an opportunity to reinvest at a decent rate of return. These are not get-rich-quick rates, but these are fair rates that will complement any balanced portfolio. In municipals, all the action in the retail world has been for long 4% municipal bonds, at par or cheaper. These are still available. In the institutional world, however, new issues with 5% coupons are being priced at dizzying levels. I've been promoting 3% bonds in the 8-15 to year range now for the last few months. Uh, I like these bonds. They're at uh, deep discounts, and I still cannot comprehend the spread between these particular bonds with 3% coupons and the bonds with the 5% coupons on an after-tax basis. So far, I've been wrong, but I've been at this game for a long time, and I feel that as issuance subsides and things normalize, as well as a little more retail demand comes back, uh, which I have not seen much in January, these structures will tighten and yields on 5% coupon bonds and 3% coupon bonds will become similar. And and as long as we're in an even to up market, uh, that means, uh, in my opinion, that these 3% bonds are going to outperform the 5% bonds over the course of the year. And I'll hand it back to Keith. Thanks. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.